This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Amen, amen. You can grab a seat and you can turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 18 if you're just jumping in with us this morning. Um, We started the book of Luke a long time ago and then we pushed the pause button. And so this morning we're picking it back up. So Luke chapter 18 is where I want to invite you to turn. And uh, there's uh, black Bibles in the chairs there. If you don't own a Bible, just take one of those as a gift. Take that home with you and enjoy that. Um, Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be. Uh, When you find your place in Luke 18, just hold your Bible up, say, I'm there. If you're pulling it up on your phone and you beat us all there, just hold your phone up and say, I'm there. Luke chapter 18. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. I see a church. Thank you. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 18, verse 9. As you're turning, I want to ask you, have you ever told a lie? Maybe, maybe stretch the truth. Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever lusted sexually after someone that, was, that you were not married to? Have you ever been jealous about what someone else had, a car, a house, a spouse, and wanted it for yourself? Have you ever disrespected or dishonored your parents? Have you ever spoken God's name in a dishonorable way? Have you ever loved anything or anyone more than you've loved God? Now, I think if we were all honest here, we would say, and we're pretty passionate about keeping it real here, I think we would say, I got about three of those, four of those. Some of you like, all of them, I'm there. Do you know why this is such a massive problem? Do you know why this is such a massive problem? Um, A couple of weeks ago, maybe like a week and a half ago, I don't know, I I, I jumped onto Twitter and don't recommend it, but I was on Twitter and um, somebody tweeted something and basically it was like a little video of this guy asking one of the guys that picks the brackets and like seeds the teams in the March Madness brackets. And, And basically they were asking him, why did Tennessee, like why did Tennessee not get the two seed? instead of the three seed. And I know most of us now, it's like, it doesn't even matter now, you know? It's like, I don't know that it would have made a difference the way it all went last night, I get it. But the whole conversation was, why did they not get the two seed instead of the three seed? So then the guy's like responding, and he gives zero objective measurables. It was just like all this kind of like subjective, like there was nothing, and that's why the video got posted, because it was like, look, this guy doesn't even have any objectable, objectable, uh, uh, measurable on why Tennessee got three and not two. God's not like that. God's not like that. God has been very clear with us about what he expects. These questions that I just started with this morning, they all come rooted out of the Ten Commandments. And what we see in the sacred scriptures is that God has a standard. He's made it clear. He's made it clear. And listen, see if you've ever thought about this before. God actually requires perfect righteousness. 
God actually requires perfect obedience. Now, for some of us, that's kind of like a newsflash because we've just kind of had this concept of God that, well, God is gracious, and if anybody understands, God understands, and we know God is loving, so surely he's not going to like, like rigidly require us to be perfectly obedient. But indeed, that's exactly what God requires. God actually requires perfect holiness. And we have the great privilege of being his representatives on this earth. He made us in his image and he entrusted the rule and dominion of his earth to us. That's why it's such a massive deal that we have fallen short of his standard. Uh, the Bible says it this way, and some of these verses may be familiar to you in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says it this way, none is righteous. No, not one. So the very thing that God expects of us, the very thing that God requires of us, perfect righteousness, none of us are there. We've all fallen short. And Isaiah said it this way, see if this doesn't resonate with your experience. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That's kind of a terrifying image, isn't it? That our sins have so separated us from God, it's hidden his face from us. He's, his, his gaze is not even on us because of our sin, and, and he doesn't even hear our prayers. That's kind of a terrifying image, isn't it? Well, that's the consequences of our sin. That's what our sin has brought about in terms of our relationship with God. So here's the big question this morning, is how can we ever be made right with God? How can we ever be made right with God? And if this doesn't get fixed, where will I and you, where will we spend eternity? This has been a dilemma that people for ages have been wrestling with. People have given a wide range of uh, solutions to try to solve this problem. But in Luke 18, Jesus actually tells a story about two individuals that were kind of faced with this reality in two radically different attempts at solving this problem. So let me tell you before we read the text, let me tell you about who Jesus tells this story about. He tells a parable, so it's, it's not a, a true story, but it's a story that he tells to prove a point, to make a point. So he tells this story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. If you've been um, familiar with the Bible or with church, then you probably have some concept of what a Pharisee was like. Um, you may have some you know, some misguided ideas about what, what a Pharisee was like, but a, but a Pharisee was a very passionate about obeying God. They're super passionate, super zealous. In Israel, in, in among the Jewish community, um, if you would have asked, hey, who are the most, who are the most passionate, passionate followers of Yahweh? Well, they said, well, the Pharisees, the Pharisees. And not only are they passionate about it, like their interpretation of the law, it's, it's the best. So if you're looking for a good interpretation, ask the Pharisees because they're going to be on point with their interpretation of the law. That, that would have been the widely accepted understanding of what a Pharisee was like. And so um, they would have been kind of seen as like religiously elite and among God's people. Um, can, can we turn the mic down just a little bit? It just feels a little hot, a little echoey. Maybe that'll bless somebody. Um, back row, if I just threw you under the bus back there, so sorry. So the Pharisees, though, they... They're widely known and widely accepted is this description that I just gave you. And then the next person that we're going to see that Jesus talks about is a tax collector. And a tax collector was also widely understood 
but to be very different. Like folks understood a, a tax collector to be kind of like a, a dishonest thief. And not only that, like unjustly mishandling people's money. And so they, nobody really liked them in the community. So you had this, you know, widely admired, spiritually on point religious leader, the Pharisees, and you kind of had this bottom of the barrel, despised by most people, lying, thieving tax collector. And Jesus tells a story about them. So look in verse 9, and let's see what he says about these two individuals. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I just want to pause there, and we'll pick up the rest of the text in just a minute. I just want to pause there. And let's just like, get, get the descriptors here. I mean, you've got the Pharisee, and, and what do we now know about the Pharisee? Well, we know all the, like, the reputation of the Pharisee, but what do we know about this particular Pharisee? Well, he was at church. <laughs> he was in the temple. He was praying, and then he was fasting. So what does that mean? That means he was doing without food to spend time with God. Anybody fasted this week? It's like pretty strong. He did it twice a week. Twice a week, he'd go with no food to spend time with God. Pretty strong spiritual resume right there, right? So here he is, he's, he's worshiping, he's praying, he's fasting, and then he's tithing, giving a tenth of all that he got. So notice he didn't say of all that he made. So, so here, the Pharisees were often known for kind of creating their own like extra rules to protect them from ever even getting close to breaking God's law. And so here what the Pharisee is saying is, is I tithe on all that I make, but not just on all that I make, I tithe on all that I get. In other words, if somebody gives me a gift, I'm figuring out a way to tithe on the gift. So not just what I'm earning, but what I'm receiving from others. He's like going the extra mile to show God how holy and spiritual he is. I just, I just wonder, like, we kind of all have this concept of who would be accepted by God. So, so I just... I just posed that to you this morning. Like, who would God prefer? The one that's worshiping and praying and fasting and tithing or the one that's lying and stealing, the tax collector, right? And, and unjustly taking what belongs to others. Um, I, I experience this in real life sometimes, but often in a joking manner. When I was growing up, I mean, some of the earliest memories that I have would be like, when somebody would come to our church that hadn't been there in a while, or somebody that was just known as like, they just don't go to church or whatever. Like there was always kind of like this joke, they would look up at the ceiling and see the cracks in the ceiling. And the whole, jo the whole joke was like, okay, is the ceiling going to cave in because I'm at church today? Do you, do you know what I mean? And like, like that was kind of silly, you know, but like somewhere sneaking around in that silliness, there was kind of some truth there. It's like, I don't, I don't know if I should be in here. Do you, do you know what I mean? But it, it gets flipped around on the other side too. Like when I'm out at the ballpark and we're really wanting to get a, a baseball game in 
And, and people will like ask me to pray, and I'm like, <laughs> they're like, you know, if you pray, it might not rain. I'm like, like the preacher, right? Do I have a different standing with God, like than you have? Like, was Jesus' blood different and applied differently to my life than to yours? Do you see how? It is? And so it's kind of like funny, but sneaking around in the funniness, there's always like a little bit of no. Pastor, would you pray? Like, we want to get this game in, you know? Like, no, we really, need, we really need you to pray. But it's really fascinating who Jesus says was justified. So we're going to look at it in just a second, but Jesus uses a term called justified. And in just a moment, he's going to tell us which of these men were justified. And what it means to be justified is to be forgiven of all your sins and declared righteous. Declared righteous. In other words, it speaks of your standing with God. So to be justified, you're forgiven of all your sin, and you're declared righteous. One of these men were accepted by God, forgiven by God, and declared to be righteous by God. Let's look and see which one. Look at verse 14 with me. But I tell you, this man, which man? Look back at 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So what can we learn and what can we take from this text? It's simple. It's um, be broken, not boastful. Be broken, not boastful. The Pharisee was boastful, wasn't he? He led in his prayer to God with I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. I fast twice a week. Tithe, not just on what I make, what I get. I, I look at what I do, I do. He was, he was boastful. And not only was he boastful to God, he was, he was like boastful as he compared himself to other people, right? I'm not like them. Boasting on his morality, boasting upon his holiness, boasting upon how spiritual he was, not like, not like them. In the tax collector... The evil, lying, thieving, unjust tax collector was broken. How do we know he was broken? Let's just start with where he was standing. Where was he standing? Far off. He didn't even feel worthy to come up front. He stood back here. Far off. Not only was he standing far off, his head was bowed and he wouldn't even look up. And not only was he looking down, but he was beating his chest, a sign of lament. He's beating his chest. And his prayer has nothing to do with what he accomplished, and it had everything to do with what he didn't accomplish. God, good, good place to start with your prayers. God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. 
He was broken. He was broken. Church, think about it this morning. Listen, you could go to church, you could pray, you could tithe, and you could fast and not be broken. You could, your heart could be boastful. Do you know where I really get tripped up on this? I, I find myself being broken today knowing deep in my heart I'm determined to be boastful tomorrow. What do I mean by that? It means today I'm faced with the reality that I've fallen short of God's perfect standard. I come to him broken for my sin, confessing my sin. But the way I interact with God in this moment is, God, I'm, I'm confessing my sin, I'm being broken, but I know I'm determined tomorrow, doggone it, I'm going to get it right. So it's like in my heart, I'm holding on to brokenness and I'm holding on to a heart of boasting tomorrow because I'm so determined in my pride to have a hand in my own justification. And there was only one person that was justified before God. There was only one that was forgiven and declared to be righteous. And it wasn't the one that was boasting. It was the one that was broken. So be broken, not boastful, and trust in Jesus, not in yourself. Trust in Jesus, not in yourself. This is what this whole text is about. Look back at verse 9 with me. Look at, look at verse 9 in, in your Bible. Look at it. He also told this parable to some who trusted in them, what? In themselves. So Jesus is graciously inviting these people that were trusting in themselves. He was graciously inviting them into a better way. Jesus was graciously inviting these people who trusted in themselves. He was inviting them into a, a, a different way. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. So, so how do you know today if you're trusting in yourself? How do you know? One indicator that you may be trusting in yourself is if you're really focused about all the good things that you do. How do you know if you're focused about it? Well, you talk about it. You tell your friends about it. You tell your family about it. You tell yourself about it. You tell God about it. You're focused on the good things that you do. If you're focused on the good things that you do, you may be trusting in yourself. How else do you know if you're trusting in yourself? You easily compare yourself to others. In other words, you know, deep in your heart, your conscience is, you know, speaking to you, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, you know you've messed up, and your way of appeasing your conscience is not trusting in Jesus, but it's comparing yourself to other people. Well, I wasn't as bad as them. Well, look at what they're doing. Well, I, I'm light years ahead of them and them and them and them and them. And it's somehow we can kind of like turn down the voice of the Spirit and turn down the voice of our conscience by looking around and finding 30 people in the room that are a lot worse sinners than me, as though we know, you know. But it's that comparison. So what's another way, that you, another indicator that we may be trusting in ourselves if we're not, if we're not broken? If we're not broken, if we've never been broken, if we've never come undone, there was these, these physical realities that this tax collector was showing as evidence that he was broken. And, and physical postures are not always, they're not always a clear indicator that the heart is broken. But for the tax collector, it was in this particular story. He was standing far off. His head was bowed. He was beating his chest. So have you ever been so broken that it changed your physical posture? 
When we get a glimpse for the holiness of God, we get a glimpse for, of our own sinfulness, and we realize we can't get low enough to exalt Jesus high enough. Amen. Isaiah had this vision of the Lord in Isaiah 6, and these seraphim were flying around Isaiah and around the throne, or rather around the throne of, of, in, in Jesus. And these seraphim creatures, were they, they were covering their face, and they were coming, covering their feet, and they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory. And what Isaiah didn't have is an Instagram moment. He wasn't like, whoa, we got to capture this. Isaiah said, woe is me. I am undone. I am ruined. That's what he said, Isaiah 6. He saw God in his holiness, and his immediate response was brokenness. Brokenness. It's not necessarily an indicator if you're crying that your heart is broken, but it could be. It's not necessarily an indicator if you're kneeled before the Lord on your knees that you're broken, but it, it could be. It's not necessarily an indicator that if you cannot speak and get a word out of your mouth, it's not necessarily an indicator that you're broken, but it, but it, it could be. It could be that you're so broken that you can't get the word so be broken, not boastful. Um, so how does this look? How does this look in, in, our, in our eyes? Wait, let me, let me just lean into this just a little more. God is not patient with us because he thinks if he waits long enough, we're going to get it right. Can I just say that again? God is not patient with you because he thinks if he waits long enough, you're going to get it right. <laughs> he is patient with us because he is gloriously patient. It is his character. It's also his character to resist pride and to humble the proud. God took, listen, God took decisive action in sending Jesus to pay the penalty of our sins so that he could justify us. He knew that our greatest righteousness, like Isaiah said, would be described as filthy rags. So no matter how hard we tried, no matter how long we worked at it, and no matter how much we received, we'd still fall short. But friends, don't miss the miraculous wonder of what's going on here. What did the tax collector do to be justified? What did the tax collector do to have a right standing with God? What did he do? Nothing. Nothing. He was broken and threw himself at the mercy of God. He was broken. He said, I can't save myself. Only your mercy can save me. Be merciful to me. I can't save myself. And Jesus said, that man went down to his house justified with a right standing. He didn't do anything. Surely God, surely he had to do something to, you know, surely he had to, you know, it's like, surely it was like, hey, you bring this to the table, Jesus, and I'll bring this to the table, you know, surely like, if, you know, like we can kind of work out a deal, like if you do this and I'll do that, you know, somehow we can kind of combine and work out this whole justification deal. What did he do? Look back at the text. What did he do? Nothing. And he was forgiven, and declared righteous. This is such a big deal that in the Reformation, um, 
this is, this is one of the teachings and one of the doctrines that led to the Protestant Reformation. Um, it, a couple of weeks ago, I, I talked about unity, and I talked about one of the beautiful marks of real life is our unity and how even through a pandemic, with all the things that could have divided us, we chose loving unity. And unity is really, really important. But what we can't do, listen, what we can't do is is see someone that says, I'm justified by faith and works and be unified with that because that's a different gospel. It's really no gospel at all. Gospel means good news. And if you're justified, if you have a right standing with God and any of it depends upon you, that's bad news. That's really bad news. Because what if you don't measure up? <laughs> and, and, and so many of you grew up, many of you grew up in the Catholic Church, and, and your experience was one of fear because you never knew if you were doing enough to appease God. Listen, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. Jesus hung on the cross. He cried out, it is finished, so that he could forgive us, so that he could justify us, so that Jesus could look at a tax collector. An unjust, lying, thieving, bottom-of-the-barrel person and say, he's justified, forgiven, and declared righteous. So I just wonder if maybe there's somebody here today, you've been going to church and you've been praying, maybe you've even been giving, and, and who knows, maybe you've gone on spiritual retreats, but you've been trusting in yourself. You've been comparing yourself and your spiritual resume to someone else's and you've never truly been saved by Jesus because you've never placed your faith in him. You've never trusted in him. You've never cried out for his mercy from a broken place. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. I just want to invite you just to bow your heart, bow your head before the Lord. Emily's going to come and, and help guide us. But just right where you're sitting with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never called upon Jesus to save you, from a, if you've never been broken, broken for how your sin has separated you from God, if you've never realized you needed rescuing, and today you want to cry out to Jesus to have mercy on you, I just want to lead you in a prayer. You pray silently in your heart something like this. God, I need you. I'm not righteous. And I need the righteousness of your son. I need to be forgiven. Be merciful to me. Maybe you want to personalize it and you want to say, be merciful to me in my jealousy. Be merciful to me in my hatred. Be merciful to me, a liar. Be merciful to me as I've disrespected my parents. Be merciful to me in my lust. Be merciful to me, a thief. Be merciful to me, an adulterer. Be merciful to me in my fear. Be merciful to me, a gossip. Be merciful to me in my doubt. Be merciful to me because of my temper. Be merciful to me in my envy. 
If today, for the very first time in your spiritual journey, if you cried out for God's mercy, trusting in Jesus, would you just look up at me and raise your hand? Nobody's looking around, but I want to celebrate with you and pray with you. Just look up at me and just lift your hand. I see you, brother. Awesome. Praise God. Anybody else? You're crying out for God's mercy. I see you, sister. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. You don't want to go through the motions, but you want Jesus to rescue you and save you. And maybe you've been on a journey of coming to this day and you now realize Jesus can save you. You want to trust in him. Just lift your hand. Look up at me if that's you. I see you, brother. I see you. Anybody else? I just want to say to those of you that are trusting in Jesus, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You are his son. You are his daughter. We want to encourage you, be baptized so you can tell this church family what Jesus has done in your life. Grow with him and walk with him and enjoy the forgiveness that he so freely gives. Father, we thank you for your great love. Oh God, we thank you that Jesus went to the cross to save us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Let me just have just another little piece that I want to share with you this morning. Justification is defined in this way. In an instant, God forgives us and declares us righteous. That's justification. So we're, we're brought into a right standing with God forgiven and declared to be righteous in an instant, the moment we place our faith in Jesus. The moment we're broken because of our sin and trust in Jesus. That's justification. That's why Jesus said of the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified. So that's justification. But justification, listen, justification is just the starting gun on a marathon. And sanctification is the marathon. So sanctification can be defined this way. It's a process where we actually become more righteous as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, His work in our life. So justification happens in a moment through our faith. And then sanctification, we're declared righteous, declared righteous in justification. Sanctification is the actual process where we actually become more and more righteous. We actually become more holy. We actually become more obedient. We actually become a more loving person. But we can't get this wrong. So many people live their life going, they start sanctification before justification. And they try to do sanctification to be justified. That's what the Pharisee was doing. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give. I'm going to tithe. And maybe if I do enough, I'll be justified. Be broken, not boastful. Trust Jesus, not yourself. But here's the beauty of it, is when you're broken and not boastful, when you trust Jesus and not yourself, you do begin to want to worship and give and fast and love God and honor God. So it's the same activity, but with a completely different motivation. The motivation, check this out. If your justification depends upon your righteous living, then your motivation is fear. What if I'm not enough? I got to do more. I got to measure up. I got to do, I got to grip my spiritual teeth and get it right this time. 
It's fear. That's a miserable existence. Miserable existence. There's nothing good about that. But when you see the glory of Jesus and you see your own sinfulness and you're broken because of it and you place your faith in Jesus and he takes your burden off of you and you immediately feel light and the guilt and the shame is washed away and he fills your life with his Holy Spirit and he pours his love into your life by his Spirit, then you want to live for him. You want to honor him with every breath you want to do it, not out of fear, but because you love him. (laughs) Because he did the unthinkable for me. He went to the cross for me. When I was unworthy and unlovable, he loved me still. When nobody else would have wanted me, he wanted me and adopted me and chose me. Glory. Hallelujah. So amazing. So justification is the foundation. For those of you that are builders, justification is the foundation and the house being built is sanctification. Justification is like the ice-capped mountains, and sanctification are the streams that flow out of the ice-capped mountains. Justification is like the opening bell to a boxing match, and the whole boxing match is sanctification. And that's why the scripture says, fight the good fight of faith. It's not to get into being justified. It's because you've been justified. You want to fight the good fight of faith. You want to fend off the enemy. You want to crucify the flesh. You want to walk in obedience to the Lord. Not out of fear. Say it with me. Out of love. You see it? You see it? Now I've got some friends here. And here's what they'll say. After hearing this message, here's what they'll say. They'll say, how do I know if I'm being broken enough? How do I know if I'm broken enough? Listen, if that's the question in your heart, you're still trusting yourself. It's not the quality of our brokenness. It's not the depth of our brokenness. It's not the expressive nature of our brokenness. It's not how urgently we feel broken that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us, and we put our faith in Jesus who saves us. So if you're asking, what if I, how do I know if I'm broken enough? You're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in the quality of your brokenness. So stop trusting in the quality of your brokenness today and throw, your, throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus because he alone can save. He alone can save. And when he saves us, he saves us completely. He saves us sufficiently. He never never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Psalm 40 says it this way. He turned to me and he heard my cry. And what does God do when he hears hears our cry? He lifts me up out of the pit. He puts my feet on a firm place to stand. And he puts a new song in our mouth. That's a picture of what it means to be justified. You just cry out to God. And he says, hey, I'm the hero in your story. I'm going to do it all. You cry out for my mercy. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to put your feet on a new place to stand. I'm going to put a song of praise about how glorious of God I am. Is anybody done? Is anybody done with trying to impress God today? Anybody just want to say, done with that? Is anybody done with trying to appease God today? Done with that? Jesus did it. I'm going to rest in his work. Listen, God is healing your souls this morning. He's pouring life into your soul by his spirit this morning. 
He's given you spiritual sight to see clearly what you've been blinded to for years this morning. And we give him glory, church. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing out. Let's celebrate his grace. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.